fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Tuesday, greatest day of the entire week, man. We are setting the tone for the rest of the week. We are carpe dianisms all over the place. We are ready to rock and roll for another one. So, Welcome into the program, and it's wonderful to have you with us here. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to us. Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty. Big show, big news going on in the world today. We'll get to all of it here in just a moment. Monica Yates will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. She is a trauma healer, something a little bit different that we've done on the show as we talk anxiety, depression, domestic disputes, divorce, healthy relationships. How can we manage in a crazy time that is today when I've said this story uh, this step many times, but apparently fifth graders have the anxiety level of uh, insane asylum patients from the 1980s. And if that's the level of anxiety we have as fifth graders, I can only imagine what it's like as an adult Moving it. I mean, remember, I'm in a millennial. I'm 34, so I'm not considered an adult yet because uh, apparently we don't consider ourselves adults until we're like, I don't know, 35 or something. So I have another year of being a kid. And then all of a sudden I'll grow up and I'll feel really big. By golly. I'm a big kid now. So we'll talk about that with Monica Gates at the bottom of the hour. We're going to do something a little bit different today, though, before we do anything else. Probably the most important story of the day is put on your tinfoil hat for just a second. I have. A new conspiracy theory that I have not jumped on board with. I hear a lot of people talk about it today, and I have shunned it. I have criticized it. I have blown it off, and I have to apologize. I Before we do anything else, and we'll get to Kevin McCarthy, the announcement of the impeachment in just a moment, but we have to clear the record. I am fully on board now with this conspiracy theory. Weird news of the day. I am fully on board, and I have to admit it, and I have to apologize to all the naysayers that I have been critical of throughout the years when it comes to the flat earth theory of this nation. Oh, yes, there are many out there now with this belief in the flat earth theory that the earth is flat, and I have to apologize to you in not thinking that the earth is flat, but actually believing that the earth is a globe. I know that we see these photos from space. I know that we see everything as a globe, now, but I, I have to apologize. And here's why I have changed my position. In the belief that the earth is flat, I have realized that 70% of the earth is made up of mostly water. And none of that water, my friends, is carbonated. Therefore, I have to go to the conclusion that the earth is definitely flat. Thank you. I'll be here for the rest of the hour. <laughs> Welcome into the Voice of Reason. Ah, see, see, I made myself laugh. I couldn't control it. Uh, there it is. I now have firm belief that the earth is flat. Because there's no carbonation in any of the water in any <laughs> of the oceans. Uh, all right. I'm a dork. It's okay. You can say it. Andy, stop with your damn dad jokes. Let's get into what's trending for today. What do you say? Weird. Nope. nope sorry. We don't want to do that one. Let's do this one. What's trending today? I don't have any other jokes for you right now. At least. But bear with me. The hour is young as uh, right now. Here's the big story of the day, obviously. Kevin McCarthy making a big announcement earlier today on Capitol Hill. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. 
This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. That's exactly what we want to know. The answers. The answers. That's what it's all about. Kevin McCarthy now saying that he's opening up an impeachment inquiry. Now, this is not a vote for impeachment. This is not a move to put a bill onto the floor for impeachment, which uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has done, which uh, the congresswoman from Colorado has done, uh, Lauren Boebert. This is not that vote. This is an inquiry, meaning that we already have committees that are investigating this, and we are taking those committees to another level to actually look and see and research and do their quote-unquote due diligence on whether we're actually going to pursue an impeachment right now, which we're already doing, are we not? That's why we're investigating this as a whole already. And we've talked to the IRS whistleblowers, which uh, had their lives threatened from the Biden administration, according to them. We've had more information on the Hunter Biden laptop. We've talked to the FBI. We've talked to all these different agencies regarding the Bidens. And every step of the way, we get threats coming from the Biden family while they just blow it off and just laugh. And they say that they're prepared to fight this in court, which if you want to fight it, all the power to you. But evidence is evidence. Fact is fact. And you can't manipulate your way out of this one. Although you can try because you do a really good job of it with the economy and other things going on right now. We're creating 13 million jobs. But yet we know that's complete falsehood and it's a complete lie. So you can't trust anything that they say. And Kevin McCarthy coming back from his summer vacation Coming back in, uh, really laying down the roll, right? Laying down the law and telling us exactly how it's going to be. Like a boss. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case because uh, he's still got that demeanor. Now, as much as it annoys the heck out of me of how soft-spoken he is, let's be honest. And for us conservative patriots that are like, hey, it's time for an impeachment. It was time for an impeachment three years ago. This is actually the calm, collect Kevin McCarthy that he is, is actually not a bad thing. Because as we recognize the fact that two successful ways to be really good in politics is a lot of money and a good PR team, he is a dominant guy in the PR team by being that collective guy. He's very middle of the road. He's very, let's lay it out there. He's very, let's just kind of take it all in before we make an assumption. He tries to be the political guru. You know, the spiritual guru, the the Zen guy, and oh, we shall meditate on this for a minute before we actually decide what we're going to do. Um, That's Kevin McCarthy. And as much as it annoys me in Washington, D.C., because we want a Donald Trump firebrand overturning the tables and just kind of lighten people up and exposing things left and right, on a political PR style, it's actually very healthy for the Republican Party. So I give him credit for that as much as an annoyance it is for most of us here on the home front of him doing this very calm, collect mindset. Because finally, he's get on getting on board with the impeachment. It took him a while. Just before the recess happened, early spring, he said that there was no way we were going to do an impeachment. He didn't want it to look political. It was going into an election season. He didn't want to look like it was trying to sabotage the president going into elections, which would potentially hurt the Republicans for sabotaging the elections, which is what we're being criticized of uh, day in and day out. But there's so much overwhelming evidence, and there are so many angry Republicans across the nation that there's no reason why he wouldn't open up an impeachment. Now, again, we're going to just drag our feet along with this here because, well, that's what we do as Republicans, because we're scared of our own shadow at times, that we're not going to just go right into, hey, here's the articles of impeachment. In fact, Ken Buck, the uh, senator out of the state of Colorado, said that overall Kevin McCarthy's been doing good uh, when it comes to uh, the budget and education or the uh, the budget 
conversations that are coming up at the end of the month. But the problem is now is that Democrats all of a sudden, after months and months of saying, no, 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 we're going to do a continuing resolution. We're not going to expand our budget unless you get on board with all of our new social programs and all of our new spending of the near $2 trillion. Now, all of a sudden that we have opened up this impeachment inquiry that they didn't think that we would have the huevos to do, they've all of a sudden realized, well, you know what? Oh, no, I can't believe you're focusing time and attention on this impeachment inquiry, we need to focus on things like the budget because we could go into a government shutdown by the end of this month. Now, as you know, that's not going to happen. We're going to do a continuing resolution until December. We've already covered that multiple times, and all the elected officials say that as well. However, the big question is now whether we do a continuing resolution at the spending levels of 2019, of 2022, or this year in 2023. And many Republicans are not on board with spending levels of 22 or 23 because they're really, really high. But if we do a continuing resolution of 2019 before the pandemic, many Republicans are on board with extending that spending level of that until the end of the year in December. Democrats, on the other hand, are not. So now Kevin McCarthy's in the quandary, which is why politically I think is now the reason and the timing why he's opening up this impeachment inquiry. He's trying to haggle with Republican conservatives, the few, the 21, 22, 23 of them, that said that they were open to allowing a government shutdown to happen because there's no way we're going to max out our spending of the $2 trillion increase that we're seeing in this next federal budget. And while they're willing to shut down the government, the negotiation that Kevin McCarthy has right now is, well, if you allow a continuing resolution at whatever level it may be, probably the 2022, because, well, Kevin McCarthy's trying to play nice on both sides of the aisle, that if you do that, then I'll open up the impeachment inquiry for you. This is a political game for McCarthy. And it's unfortunate because we need to see both of them happen at a very drastic level, but that's not going to happen right now. But in fact, according to, uh, let me see if I can find it here, according to the senator... I got too many tabs open on my little thing here. According to Ken Buck, he says that right now, Kevin McCarthy is between the rock and the hard place. He's made promises on both sides of the aisle. He's made promises to many conservatives about the impeachment inquiry and trying to cut the budget. And now they're all coming forward at the same time. And he's got to figure out which ones to capitalize on and which ones to utilize and which ones to fulfill those promises. Because right now he can't do both. He can't lower the spending and do the impeachment inquiry because he's going to have a riot on his hands from the moderate Republicans and from the Republicans over on the Senate and even Democrats who dominate the Senate. He can't do both. So now the uh, negotiation, according to McCarthy, is if you can get an impeachment inquiry started to appease many of the conservatives, then just bump up the spending for the continuing resolution. And I'm not okay with that. But that's the plan, because if you remember, Kevin McCarthy just a while ago was not okay with an inquiry on impeachment at all, wanting to not wanting to look very political. Through our investigations, we have found that President Biden did lie to the American people about his own knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings. Eyewitnesses have testified that the president joined on multiple phone calls and had multiple interactions. Dinners resulted in cars and millions of dollars into his sons and his sons' business partners. We know that bank records show that nearly $20 million in payments were directed to the Biden family members and associates 
through various shale companies. The Treasury Department alone has more than 150 transactions involving the Biden family and other business associates that were flagged as suspicious activity by U.S. banks. Even a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family. And it goes on with all the inquiry Biden information. Oh, hold on. Okay. Thank you, McCarthy. Thank you. Uh, it's more information that continues to come out now. And it's so evident that Republicans would do themselves harm if they don't open up an impeachment before the election time. Because then again, and this is kind of a recurring thing for the Republican Party, is that we do not fulfill our obligations as Republicans, as conservatives. We don't fulfill our promises of trying to keep corruption out of Washington, D.C. And I get it. You're a political party. You're going to have corruption even on your end of the aisle. Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, a lot of you moderates, uh, Mitt Romney, a lot of you guys that are in there. So, I mean, I know that this is a very touchy subject for you, but you have to because that is the demand of the registered Republican voters that are going to the polls for this year for off-seasons and local elections and the big races going into next year when Republicans are clamoring, at least most of them are clamoring, for the majority in the chambers and the potential presidency. McCarthy, though, between that rock and the hard place, how do I continue? How, how do I look like such a radical right wing nut by appeasing the 23 Republicans that could shut down the government if they don't get on board with a continuing resolution or a federal budget unless I try to appease them with an impeachment inquiry? The give and take in D.C. is hilarious to watch. Oh, let the politics ensue. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So Ken Buck says he's a radical conservative. He's not. He's coming from the state of Colorado, very purple state, and he came from the House of Representatives, moved his way up into the Senate, and now he's one of those guys that says right now that it's completely irrational for the Republicans in the House to be moving forward with articles of impeachment, or at least an impeachment inquiry, not articles of impeachment, because that would be the actual bill, but the impeachment inquiry, because there's not enough evidence right now. Oh, yes. And he says it puts Kevin McCarthy into a bad spot, but I don't think it does. As we mentioned, I think this is his negotiation style of saying, hey, all right, Republicans, we know that you want to, like, cut the budget quite a bit. You want to get back to regular and rational spending levels. We totally had an opportunity to do that in June, and we completely blew it because we got about 2% of what we wanted. Democrats got about 98% of what they wanted, and we just caved because we always do that. This is Kevin McCarthy speaking, by the way. And so I get it. You're really upset. You're willing to even shut down the government if it comes to that because we can't spend $2 trillion more in our budget. So here's the rational compromise for you. If you support spending and the continuing resolution until December for us to figure out the appropriations bill. But you do it at a 2022-2023 level, which most Republicans voted against last time, instead of a 2019 level, which we won't get support for in the Senate, where Democrats still have the majority. If you do it that way, then I'll go ahead and go with the article with the impeachment inquiry on uh, Joe Biden. And that's the negotiation that he's trying to go along with. But according to Ken Buck, everything's all hunky-dory and happy 
with the entire budgetary process and the appropriations that McCarthy's been working hard on. Well, uh, the, the Speaker has been uh, really pushing uh, appropriations bills and, and particular policy language on appropriations bills that are uh, very helpful and, and very conservative. The, the thought is that when those bills go over to the Senate, that policy language will come off and whatever number uh, we have agreed to at that point become, becomes the baseline for negotiation. The Senate will come in with a higher number mm -hmm. and will take the policy riders off. So the, 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 the game now, the challenge now is to produce bills that have low uh, dollar figures in them, as well as uh, strong policy writers, to give the speaker a better negotiating position with the Senate when they start talking about the compromises that that are inevitable for these kinds of bills. That was from Meet the Press over the weekend on Sunday. So the McCarthy plan is to try and cower on the economy because we don't want to have a government shutdown because then, of course, the PR team, the PR mob of the media and the Democrats would blame it on Republicans when Republicans are struggling just on the basic precedence, uh, precedence that the economy is bad under the Biden economy, which isn't a precedent. It's fact, but that's we're struggling to even control that narrative right now. If we shut down the government, it would be our fault. We're unwilling to negotiate. We're unwilling to do the rational thing. Thing when spending's higher than what it's ever been and what we could have ever conceived of it actually being, but it doesn't matter to them. And it really shows, unfortunately, that it's a power play and that the Republican Party is still scared of their own shadow, which speaking of, by the way, on the Senate side, Mitch McConnell, as you know, has had his two different freeze-ups in front of the media where they say it was dehydration, they say that it was exhaustion or whatever it was, it didn't have anything to do with his concussion or it doesn't have to do anything to do with his old age or dementia or anything like that, that apparently he's trying to fight to remain in power because there has been conversation of what to do to remove him from that seat as the Senate minority leader and the head of the Republican Party in a chamber when we're only about two or three seats shy of actually getting something done properly that we can win over some moderates, we can win over some moderate Democrats, we could win over maybe an independent or two. But no, we just have to focus on ours that's that's loosely run and weakly run by someone who can't remember his name half the time and goes on 40-second freezes in the middle of a conversation. And that's totally apparently OK. And there are some moderate Republicans who are still defending Mitch McConnell, including those like Mitt Romney, because he's the grand old guy saying Romney, who's a vocal backer, saying that it's he's widely recognized and wisely recognized that any opportunity would be present for a window for them to try a removal of him again. Meaning, hey, he's trying to get ahead of this thing. He wants to remain in power rather than stepping aside and letting someone that actually can this do the job the do the job. Of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets radio, this is the Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into a Reason Common Sense Rationale. You know, the normal conversations we have to have that seem to be a minority in society today. Welcome back into it. Multiple radio stations all over the place, all over the country, man. And we got stations jumping on board left and right, which is awesome. We love you to death. We'll announce some of those more as it comes along. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of Reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. And apparently, remember, we're not considered adults until like the age of 35, right? So I got another year and then all of a sudden, baby. <laughs> I'm a big kid now. Oh, 
man, all how the world goes today. Let's get into what's trending. I want to step away from the politics for just a moment because it's very anxiety-ridden, right? The latest study we saw a few weeks ago showed that the average fifth grader, fifth grader, which my daughter's in fourth grade now, she's nine, fifth grade, 10, 11 years old, has the same anxiety level of what a patient in a mental institution in the 1980s had. That's a wild thought. Now, if they have that level of anxiety, which you can see with some of the pop culture events going on today, I can see why with people trying to confuse the hell out of them on basic stuff, that if you become an adult, what's the world look like? We have inflation that's at like 20 30%. We have divorce rates that are through the roof right now. We have anxiety. We have depression. We have massive increases in crime. We have massive increases in domestic disputes all over the country. What the heck's going on? And how do we solve this? How do we get rid of that anxiety? How do we purge some of that out of ourselves? How do we focus on the, and this may be, some people may understand this, some people may not understand this, but focus on the masculine and the feminine and how we can actually be ourselves, the alpha male that's apparently a uh, beta, that needs to be a beta male now because of ultra masculinity. It's a very strange world out there, and I have to admit, my nine-year-old daughter, I feel terrible for her for when she gets into the dating scene because... I don't know how she's going to survive to talk about some of this and so much more on what we can do to begin healing ourselves. She is a trauma healer. Excited to have her on the program. She's also host of the popular uh, podcast Feminine as blankety blank. I can't say it on the radio. Uh, Feminine as you know what podcast excited to have on here at Monica Yates. Monica, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Andy, for having me. Yeah, I am really excited. I'm excited to chat about this topic because we always talk about the issues in the world, but we never sit down to talk mm-hmm. about ways to actually fix a lot of them. And a lot of it is, as we look at the headlines in the news today of of crime rates and of domestic dispute cases and of suicide rates and anxiety and the average Americans on six to seven pharmaceutical pills, mm-hmm. we're not properly healing ourselves and taking care of ourselves right now, are we? No, and it's just, it's alarming how people just reach for pharmaceuticals thinking that that is the solution when that is a Band-Aid. Like, yes, you might feel quote-unquote better, but it's because it's quite literally a Band-Aid over a massive wound. So what's going to happen when you stop taking the pharmaceuticals? Generally speaking, it's actually, it just worsens the issue. It does not make them better because now your body's reliant on something else. It doesn't even know how to function properly itself. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, it, it's masking it to where you're almost in the haze. And I don't like pharmaceuticals. Yeah. We don't. In fact, my wife, you know, works on like the alternative medicines, alternative uh, ways to heal yourself, so you don't that. have to be on the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, because it masks yourself. But then, when you get on more, you have a side effect. So you go to the doctor, and they're like, "All right, yep. well, here's a pill for this side effect," and it just goes on and on and on and on. It almost seems like just cleaning your system completely would solve about eighty percent of your problems. I know, seriously. And, you know, I always come back to this fact, especially when we look at the pill, for example, that's a really big one in terms of just people handing over their power. You know, people have a problem and instead of looking at themselves and looking at, okay, how can I help myself, which would allow the person to feel powerful and like they have self-trust, they hand the power over to a pill or to big pharma and big pharma is now what they look up to. And so, All this does, and no wonder we have this issue of depression and suicide and anxiety, is over time and, you know, the more that you go on these drugs, you are passing your sense of power and stability off to somebody else Mm. rather than you feeling like you can cultivate that within I love that. I And I look at this from obviously more of a political stance with this program, but I, I see that in many different aspects of life, right? I mean, we give up our individual power for 
many different aspects. Something happens in society. Mm-hmm. What do we do? We turn to government and say, government, do something to create this safety net, to create this uh, feeling yep. that you're taking care of me. And the religious standpoint, you know, we go to the church and say, church, do something instead of praying yep. inward and looking inward for for the answer, the message from God or from however you believe in your faith in some way, shape or form, or finding that power and that strength within you. We've I don't know that people today, a lot of society knows even how to take control back in that power back into their daily life. I mean, they don't because we live in a world now of just disconnection. Everyone's numb. Everyone is distracted. Everyone's on their phone. You have to be living under a rock to not be able to see this. You simply get on the metro and everyone's on their phone. And so whilst people think that they are in a world where everyone's so connected and you can just FaceTime anybody, the reality is, and, you know, COVID just exacerbated this, is that we live in a world of laziness now. People are lazy. People don't want to put the effort into helping themselves. It is easier to go on a pill thinking that the problem is solved than to actually have to put the hard work in and reap the rewards. So it's it's a real shame, but if we continue to stay in this cycle as a society, it brings me great concern for the future generations. I know you were saying that your daughter, you know, is in fourth grade. And my fiance will often say to me, like, do you want to bring kids into this world? Because it's frightening what they're growing up into. I completely agree. My wife said the same thing. Do we really want to have kids? Do we really want to do this? And it is. It's a, it's a scary world that we're moving into. But they have yeah. to be the beacon to life to try and change it. Because if, if they don't that's, change it, that's exactly then what no I one say. else will. I'm like, that's why we have to have kids. Because we need them to change the world. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Uh, how much do people try to not address trauma in their life? Whether it's trauma from a childhood issue, whether mm-hmm. it's a broken family, whether it's actual abuse in some way, shape, or form. Uh, how how much do people try to just ignore trauma as opposed to trying to face it to heal it? I mean, the reality is, and it's just part of being human, is that the majority of people aren't going to fix something until they hit rock bottom. You know, most people don't fix their health until they have a health crisis. Hmm. Um, unless you've grown up in an environment where your brain is primed to look at solving a problem at its core, most people don't even know that's an option. And me being Australian and now living in the U.S., there's cultural differences to this too. And something that I've actually learned and become more aware of since moving here is the fact that the vast majority of Americans are not educated to even look at the root cause. People don't know that there is something deeper to heal. You know, we've been so programmed to believe that the solution is in a drug. So, for, for a lot of people, unfortunately, they will wait until they hit rock bottom to actually fix it. So I like to say, okay, let's take out, wait till it hit, hit, wait, wait till everything crumbles and you hit rock bottom. Focus on what you desire. Like, what do you actually want in your life? What do you dream about having? What are you sick of feeling? Like, if you can really hone in on the pain, the emotional, physical, mental, spiritual pain that you are currently feeling right now, does that pain give you enough reason to change. And if you think about what you wish that you could have in your life and what you wish that you could experience day to day, does that give you enough desire to then want to change? Mm -hmm. Because if you can, if you can couple the pain that you're currently feeling with your current reality and the desire that you want to be feeling, that is generally for the majority of people enough for them to go, okay, I'm going to do something in order to fix this. Most people don't know they have trauma. Most people, they have learned to cope with it. Like, you know, as a child, we have to we have to survive. So we learn to shove it down with different coping mechanisms, whether it's, you know, binge eating, whether it's drinking, whether it's, 
you know, relying on pharmaceuticals, whether it is distracting yourself with social media, there is a multitude of different ways that people will lie to themselves about that they're okay when they're actually not. Um, So everyone has trauma. Even if you grew up in a perfect childhood, even if your parents are still together, everyone has trauma because trauma is about how you perceived a situation and the fact that you felt unsafe in it. And the vast majority of situations that you'll find yourself in, you do not process the extent of what you were feeling in that moment. So that gets harbored inside of you and that continues to physically manifest into different diseases or different mental health issues over time until you finally address it. So it's safe to say that every single person has trauma and everyone deserves to actually spend the time looking inwards and realizing that they deserve to be happy and have that in a piece. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Well, you see study now, uh, study after study coming out today showing that the more you try to repress your feelings and more you try to repress some of the stuff is the leading cause of what causes inflammation in your body, what causes mm-hmm. illness, what causes cancer, and we have to start yep. addressing this stuff. Is this just a U.S. thing or is it a universal thing, do you think, for men where they say, well, cram down that emotion, men aren't supposed to cry, suck it up and just continue on with life? Like, is that just a U.S. thing or do you see that all over the place? No, it's definitely all over the place, especially with what you just said. The main thing that I've noticed from, I've lived in multiple countries, the main things that I've noticed and working with people from all around the world is more so um, the health side of things and whether people are encouraged to, uh, to kind of reach outside themselves or look within themselves. America predominantly has the kind of ideology of look outside yourself. So get the pharmaceutical, look to the government, look to somebody else. Whereas, you know, European countries, because they live a slower pace of life, generally speaking, and they have more of a sense of balance, that slowness and the more holistic culture that already exists, because it's a very healthy society that that exists, exists there, that encourages people to look at the root cause more so than the US. Obviously, that's a generalization, but that's for the most part. In terms of the masculinity piece of like men shoving down, I mean, that's across the board. And I was saying to somebody earlier that, you know, we as a society, the intention I think has been, has the right intention has been there in helping men to feel like they are allowed to express themselves and it doesn't make them any less of a man. But the execution is the problem because we are telling men to express themselves in a way that a woman would express themselves. Men aren't communicators. They don't want to sit in a therapist's office and talk because they don't get the 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 feelings that women get when we sit and talk. Yeah, they so don't it's do really it the about way. the execution of yeah. helping men. Monica, I hate to cut you off. Can you stick over one more segment with us? we got to take a break here. No worries. Uh, perfect. Yeah, hang tight here. we got one more segment right around the corner. Lots more to this cover. It's The Voice of Reason. The stay Voice right here. of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show. Oh, how it flies right on by. This is one of my new favorite guests. We're definitely going to have to get her back on the show because we've only just scratched the surface on everything I want to talk about on the show. So, uh, Monica, we'll definitely be getting you back on the show again here soon. She is a trauma healer. She is a life coach, a feminine and masculine embodiment coach, and host of the podcast Feminine As... You know what? Which you can find her online at MonicaYatesHealth.com. That's MonicaYatesHealth.com. Monica, in the last few minutes here, I have to ask about 
the masculinity and the attack on masculinity in society when mm. we use this term of quote unquote ultra masculinity and how men need to be going to these masculinity confession booths. And I understand that obviously men have done uh, horrible things when it comes to rape and crime against women and so on and so forth. But is it at the level of what we're hearing in media today? And does that mean that masculinity needs to be the quote-unquote beta male now instead of the quote-unquote alpha male in society? Yeah, no. I mean, the real issue that we have now with the whole kind of the masculinity issue and toxic masculinity is that it's grouping all men into essentially their essence as a man, their masculinity, our essence as a woman is our femininity, is bad. And so my concern with it is that we are going to be having more and more men that are exhibiting these unhealthy behaviors because we are repressing the very part of them that makes them them. And, you know, you can only shake a champagne bottle so much before it explodes. And a lot of what we see when I look into the research where men are unfortunately acting in this rage blackout, let's say, for example, is because they've been suppressed and repressed. People can't stay suppressed for that long. So the real issue for me with the whole situation is that we are not helping men the way they need to be helped. We are helping we are, we are helping men in frankly a very feminine way rather than actually acknowledging how their biology is different to ours as a woman and therefore how they need they need help and they need you know, trauma work and release and whatnot in different ways to what society is currently putting on them. Yeah, and that's a, that's exactly what you were saying going into the break there was that we try and sit these guys down into a therapist, try and talk out the stuff, mm-hmm. and that's not that's that works for some, and that and that's healthy to get it out and to talk about it and to relay the stuff and, and release it to purge it. But at the same time, that may not be how some uh, are able to fully heal themselves and it almost reminds me of how children are being taught too with kind of the one size fits all i mean you get these young boys especially who have all this pent-up energy want to go around want to wrestle around want to run and go play sports and go do things oh you're not sitting for eight hours in a classroom let's go ahead and give you riddle and so that way you just focus on what's at hand and that's not a healthy way to do this no and that's the whole issue is that especially with boys it's like they don't like especially going through puberty, they have all this testosterone raging through their body all of a sudden. Yes, they they need to go and wrestle. They need to go and do sports. They need to get angry. They need to go and do those things. And when we shame that out of them, we are making them inherently feel like their gender is wrong. I did a research I did a study for about five years for my book and it's coming out next year. And the common thing that I hear from men is that they feel like it's not innocent until proven guilty. They feel like just being a man now is wrong. Yeah. You know, imagine, and for all the ladies listening, it's like, imagine feeling like that as a man where you are now immediately the wrong one just because of your gender. It's not exactly going to help the young boys. Yeah, it is unfortunate. On the other side, and we got just about a minute left here, so it's just kind of a tease until we can get you back on the show again uh, mm. soon. But on the other side, the feminine attack, it seems like with some of the transgender issues that we're seeing right now, yeah. men that are wanting to be females, it seems like femininity is also on the attack by making it obsolete and just making men the new feminine side. Well, exactly. And it comes back to this idea of like chivalry is gone, right? Because these, you know, radical feminists say that chivalry is some kind of misogyny and it's suppressing women. And if you really understand chivalry, it's a sign of respect to women. It's a sign of I'm protecting you. Like I will, I will, I will provide for you. And in a platonic way, it's not trying to get into her pants. And these issues that we're seeing with everything, with the trans issues, with everything being gender neutral, it's 
taking that feeling away from women of I am looked after and I am cherished and it's exacerbating women feeling unsafe. And it's just alarming to me because I'm like, wasn't the whole point of feminism to help women also to feel safe <laughs> being a woman? And now women feel like they can't even walk into a bathroom without there being pissed on the seat from a man or a man being in the bathroom. That's so true. Oh, my gosh. Just scratching the surface of this, Monica. I love it. We got to get you back on the show again real soon. Can we Thank do that? You. Yeah, I would love that. Thanks, Andy. Absolutely. We have so much more to talk about on how to heal the traumas, on ways that we can heal it. I want to get into uh, some of the other alternatives for that as well, plus the attacks on the masculine and the feminine. We're just kind of a disorganized society right now, and we got to get things straightened back out. It's Monica Yates. MonicaYatesHealth.com. Go and check her out. You can also check out her podcast, Feminine As You Know What?, as a trauma healer, MonicaYatesHealth.com. We appreciate her very, very much. We'll get her back on the show again soon. That is the first today podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow. And we have like double booked guests throughout the rest of the week. So hold in, strap up, and let's have some fun. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.